uh, Lisa and I went for a trip and we went out of town and I feel really bad about this, but I will say that we did other things during the day and the night yeah. we wanted to eat, but we did end up watching a movie mm-hmm. in another city like we right. could have done here. Right. <laughs> but we went to a theater um, and I think it's a chain. I don't know. We don't have it down here though. Um, and it's called like movie land. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we pull into the parking lot and I'm immediately like freaked out because I see two marquees. I see a huge, big kind of warehouse mm-hmm. and I see like all these movies, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Transformers, you know, whatever. And it's huge. And then I see on the other side, a smaller building with a really small marquee and it's showing only three movies over there boyhood the new woody allen and a most wanted man and we wanted to go see a most wanted man so we end up parking over at the close at the smaller theater and we walk in we're like do we buy our tickets here and the guy's like yeah i can help you out and we're like so what's the what's the deal you know because yeah i, I can look over there and see the huge warehouse one like you know it's 50 feet 150 feet mm-hmm. over this parking lot mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, oh, that's the um, kind of mainstream movie. And then we are the independent house. We show independent films and um, documentaries. Mm-hmm. And I had a good experience in that theater, but it really did kind of like, like feel a little weird. And I'm trying to, I guess, have you help me figure out why mm-hmm. we were separated. Yeah. You know, number one, I kind of felt like that. Um, Simpsons episode where Bart almost becomes part of the Flanders um, <laughs> family and they want to baptize him. Yeah. And he's in like pristine water about to be baptized. And he looks right. over his family and Homer's calling him to come over and they're like in a swamp. And that's kind of like how I, felt. I, I was like, is that people's perception? Like, are yeah. we in the pristine waters and they're like in the swamp of mainstream cinema over there? Right. So like the Transformers movies are, is the swamp. The Transformers movies is the swamp and everybody over there are the swamp people. Mm-hmm. And we are in our ivory tower. And I'm not saying that that's how I perceive myself. I'm saying, is that how people would perceive a setup like that? Yes. Yes. I, Why- I think, I think the people that are going to the swamp don't perceive it as a swamp. Exactly. But they perceive you in the right. ivory tower right. as you thinking you're in the ivory tower and right. that they're in the swamp. Right. And so, therefore, it kind of makes me feel bad about myself. I think that's – if I went there more than once, I think I'd start feeling that way. Yeah. You know? Um, uh, and then I was also like, why can't we be part of the bigger group Yeah, over I there? think that's the, great, that's the great thing about movies is you don't have to discriminate, right? Well, they do. And I liked it. Yeah. Like – well, I mean, I guess maybe your average Transformers moviegoer isn't going to want to see whatever it is that you saw, right? Don't judge them. <laughs> Who are you? I am the ideal that they were imagining as yeah, they're walking into judgments. Transformers with their giant bag of popcorn and soda and huge things of candy. And <laughs> I, I just say, look, in, in their mainstream house was huge. I want to be there when they were planning and they were like, uh, we I just want three more screens. We just can't fit them in anywhere. Yeah, let's put it across the street. Right. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't just fit three more screens in your right. big warehouse, so we could all be one. Right. And it also raises the question, like uh, you said before, what if there's four independent movies that week? Yep. What's gonna happen? Yeah. How do you how do you make that decision? Right. 
Yeah. Well, that one independent uh, film's going to get bullied. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, there's going to be all these stories on the local news about it. And, right. Yeah. Transformers 4 is going to be like, I see all your characters are crying all the time. I can hear them. <laughs> what are they doing? They're just crying. Yeah. My guys are yelling and screaming and blowing up stuff. <laughs> the people just sound sad. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of which, this is Everything is Interesting. My name is and Justin is. Blizzard. I'm Keith Krepko. And today we're going to discuss one of those independent movies. We would be... Called The One I Love. In the Ivory Tower. For right. So do you think that The One I Love would make it into the prestigious three-screen movie land independent cinema? <laughs> was it a nice theater? It was. Okay. It was actually. It had. I mean, and it seemed like obviously it wasn't well trafficked so that was one good thing about right. the, the three screen like we well, don't have all the slobs from the transformers <laughs> movies coming in right the swamp people i think we agreed <laughs> to call them yes right um but uh yeah no it, it was a it was a great theater i enjoyed it the the sound was perfect and um yeah the seats were comfortable yeah i i enjoyed it i, I thought it was great well good um but you know the one i love i guess the only thing holding that back is, you know, that did it even get a theatrical release. Maybe I don't know. I know it was really popular at Sundance. Yeah. So I think, you know, is it's not a judgment call, but it would probably be in any self-respecting independent cinema. Yeah. It'll be at the narrow eventually. Yeah. Right. Probably. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about the one I love, and then we will. Uh, spend some time talking a, a little bit about Richard Dawkins, who got himself in some controversy, Twitter controversy, a few weeks ago now. And then just today, I don't know if you saw it, there was another article that came out today yeah. about how he's just kind of being a jerk in the streets. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it really seems like this has kicked off a new phase for Richard yeah. Dawkins, where he's like, uh, I'm just going to be the a-hole I've always wanted to be. Right. Yeah. And he's doing it. He's yeah, going he's for going it. He's going for it. Yeah, he's doing a pretty good job of it. Uh, so after that, we will close with our recommendations. But first, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will come back with The One I Love. So now we're going to talk about the one I love and the one that Justin kind of likes. And it's a movie directed by a first-time filmmaker starring Mark Duplass. Right. It's directed by McDowell. His name's McDowell something, right? right a lot of I people so. have made the point of that. Yeah. He's Malcolm McDowell's son. Oh, Ted that's Danson's right. That's right. right. Oh, and that's what Ted Danson was doing. Right. That makes sense. Uh, and Elizabeth Moss. Right. And it's pretty much Elizabeth Moss... Uh, Mark Duplass and um, Ted Danson. Right. And even Ted Danson is in it for like five minutes. But he's great. He's all right. I wouldn't great. say great. <laughs> he's okay. Oscar worthy <laughs> supporting performance. So, yeah, the the one I love, this was one that I, you know, I think liked a little more than you and, and maybe, you know, want to talk a little more broadly about. So what we're going to do is we're going to 
give a quick overview about the film and we are going to spoil um, the thing that I guess we're not supposed to spoil. Um, right. So be aware of that. If you do want to stay protected, we're going to, you know, pretty much get into it straight off because that's one thing that I want to talk about is spoiler culture right. and how it relates to this film in particular. And it is one of those movies. that's like, there's a twist, right? And even the trailer itself will tell you that there's a twist, but then the there, I think there's a further conversation of, well, is it really a twist? Cause it's kind of, it's not even kind of, it's the premise of the movie. Right. And it's 20 minutes into the movie, but well, it is also something that you don't, or wouldn't normally expect. And I guess that was one thing that I wanted to start with is the trailer itself. I yeah. I follow a few film critics uh, on Twitter, and some of them were making the point that the trailer is so much better than the movie, that it kind of promises something um, that the movie doesn't uh, deliver on. And so I went back and watched the trailer, and the thing that stuck out at me about the trailer is how much it's about the twist. And yeah. it is like almost two minutes long and it's two minutes long of we can't tell you what it's about right and then a sentence of dialogue from the movie that is explaining a piece of what the twist is and then it's another quote of i wish i could tell you what this is and then another line of dialogue and i was like i don't know if i've ever seen a campaign that was built around the twist and not laying anyone know about the twist right then the one i love which is funny because you watch the movie and you think did i really need to be protected from that at least i watched it together and she called it within the first you know kind of five minutes oh really right when they got there she was like are they gonna have doppelgangers mm-hmm. it's like uh yeah yeah and i think uh i think in that sense the the trailer is kind of just the micro version of the movie. Like, at least from my perspective, I felt like the movie itself was only about the twist. And that's really all, like you said, the trailer is just, they don't, they don't let you go 10 seconds in the trailer without letting you know that this movie contains a (laughs) twist. Right. Exactly. And so the movie itself is kind of the, the, the relationship uh, aspect of the movie is almost a false flag right and I, at least i felt like and then it, it just is more or less about the twist i like your appropriation of alex jones terminology <laughs> there you're taking it back yeah um yeah so all right so w- with that being said um this film is about a married couple uh it starts with them in counseling and they hint at you know, the husband having done something that his wife, Sophie, just can't really get over. The counselor is trying to work with them. And finally, he recommends that they just go to this weekend right. retreat. Um, and he says that every other couple has come back renewed. renewed. Yeah. Portentiously. Wink, re- wink. Re- renewed, yes. And so uh, they go to this um, house and it has a guest house um, on the property. And so they're having a great time. They go over to the guest house and they bump into, you know, their spouse. So when Sophie's in there, her husband appears. And when he's in there, Sophie appears. And then they soon put it together that it's not them. That it's something else going on here. And Sophie seems a little more uh, open to this idea. 
Um, she seems kind of excited by it. Kind of excited, and right. he seems kind of freaked out about it. Well, Mark, yeah, Mark Duplass takes sort of like you said. He's he's he's. I wouldn't even say freaked out. Really, as it's kind of like a almost like a cautious like curiosity right. right and he soon feels threatened by it, it yeah take, yeah it doesn't take long yeah, for that to right. turn to threat so uh the, the movie kind of explores um them in relationship to this kind of unexplained event and the first thing that i guess i'd like to talk about and we kind of already hinted at it is you know how this film sketches and deals with the married couple it kind mm-hmm. of hinges on that and and that's why I would say is more than the twist because the twist happens in the first 20 minutes and then we're, we're off and running to me, it was more about the characters. And if the characters weren't defined in a way where I felt like I understood them and if I didn't find them compelling, then I think that movie, I would have hated it. The mm-hmm. fact that I liked it, I think is a testament to uh, their creation and their writing as characters. But would you disagree? I wouldn't disagree because you liked the movie. I liked the movie as well. I don't think it was bad. I definitely don't think it was... I mean, the I had heard a lot of great things about it before watching it, either from different podcasts or just getting a lot of buzz. I definitely don't think it lives up to that at all. And ultimately, I felt like it was disappointing. But it was... It was I wouldn't say it was bad. With with that being said, with the with, but with the characters... You know, I liked the characters. I liked the way they're acted. I liked the way they're written. The problem for me is not with the characters. It's with the focus of the movie. And the focus of the movie is not on those characters. The focus of the movie is on the twist. And then after an hour of the movie, it begins to try to explain the doppelgangers, the doubles. Like... You, you start getting more about, uh, you get start trying to at least get more clarity on why they exist or how they get, exist than they do like with what's happening with the, uh, with the actor's relationship or with their marriage. Well, and I guess that will be something that I, I'm always open in a discussion to have my mind changed. And that's, I guess, is the one thing that I'd have to have my mind changed on is, when I was watching it, I was invested in these two as characters. Mm-hmm. I, I really was. I felt like the way that they respond and they react to the this you know surprise event of the doppelgangers um, speaks to them as characters. Their motivations are clearly defined in relationship to each other. The last word that said in the um, counselor's office was is Mark Duplass saying, "I'll try anything." You know, so we are going into this next phase of the movie with this understanding that he is about saving this marriage. He is about doing anything to do that. But he's not. I mean, that's that's not a fault with the movie. I'm just saying that I think that's his character. And that's probably the reason that there are that the reason that they're at where they at where they're at. Mm hmm. Because he's not like because as we see with the doppelgangers, you get to see exactly what 
Sophie wants out of her husband. Yeah, and see, this is this is where I think the film does something that's interesting. That you know, in seeing people's Luke really lukewarm reaction to it, which makes me think that they're reacting more to the frustration of this spoiler culture that's surrounding this, that's being propagated even by the filmmakers and the stars of the mm-hmm. film, like on Twitter. It's like, hurry up before you know the secret can't be. <laughs> you know, held in anymore, yeah. you know, like I saw a tweet to that effect. Oh, really? Like, yeah. Yeah. That's annoying. Yeah. Um, it, I feel like some people are reacting against that, but what I found interesting specifically with the characters, um, in this, uh, film is that their, their different take and reaction to these doppelgangers. And I would assume that these doppelgangers were just the best versions turns out to be false pr- pretty right away. The, 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 Mark Duplass doppelganger is much more invested in being the perfect man for Sophie. Right. But the Sophie doppelganger is clearly kind of flailing in what he's looking for. You know, like she's trying to make him breakfast and she's trying to, you know, not push him and she's trying to be available and he's not responding to any of that, you know? Right. So I don't think it's that they know how to act. They're trying to feel it out and they're, they're at sea in the, in the beginning, in what they're looking, in what the real versions of, of these people are looking for, you know? Um, I thought that that was really subtle and interesting. And I assumed, like you, oh, these are just, like, the the projections, the best version of right. these people. But it turns out not to be so. And, and right. actually, the confrontation of Sophie and Sophie is really interesting where... The one that the doppelganger Sophie drops her act finally, right, and, and leaves her with the dishes. And it She's will, like, and it's the, the first scene you get where it's like, where you really get the feeling that something is wrong, exactly, right? or something is really off. But you know, I like I said, I liked I liked the movie all right. My biggest issue comes with you, you have all of this. Like you, like you were saying, it's it's a good setup, right? And yeah. you get Sophie, who is more or less falling in love with her dot with with uh, Ethan's doppelganger because he's telling her everything she wants to hear. And I wouldn't say Sophie's doppelganger is flailing, so I wouldn't put that on her as much as I would put that on the real Ethan because he, like me, or, or I feel like a lot of people is too wrapped up in the how weird it is that he's looking at a doppelganger to sort of let his guard down and let it be some kind of relationship exercise right which ultimately not to give away the ending of the ending of the movie it's not anyways right that's not what they're trying to do anyways they're not trying to save their relationship well no i think they went there with that explicit the doppelgangers you know, kind of, are not trying to save oh, their relationship. Oh, no, no, no. The okay, real yeah, couple is. Yeah, yeah. No, no. And, and again, I think that's great as well, right? The, the the film gets progressively darker, and I like that it sees its dark premise through to the end. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. So I guess, you know, right from the, from the outset, you know, we have a difference in opinion in how nuanced, I think, this film is treating its characters. I think you would say that there isn't much nuance to them, where as I would argue, 
that I think that there, I think there is. I don't know. I don't think that's the issue at all. I think they are nuanced. Like I said, I think they're written well. I think the relationship is played believably. I really like, I really like the idea of showing a, the only thing I didn't like about the setup was that Ethan had an affair, right? Is that I agree with you on there that. was a definitive pinpoint moment where they can say this is where the relationship went, went wrong. I think it would have been a lot more interesting if it was just was like we're six years into our marriage yes. and we've just plateaued. Well, yeah. And I guess that's what I found most interesting about this film is some of the things that made me think about. And I guess with this film in particular, the one issue that I came away with is in a marriage, especially, you know, your expectation that somebody can change or that your spouse can revert back to a previous version of themselves. Like are either of those um, expectations realistic? And I think we'd, we'd obviously say no, especially to the first one, right? Like you can't expect somebody to change just even if they want to, right? right? Like they are 20 some 30 some odd years this way to just change or even be like, just be a little lighter in this area or mm-hmm. loosen up over here. Like you, you can't just do that, right. you know? And that's what it made me think of too. And I wish that they would have embraced that ambiguity and just said, yeah, here's a couple who were great together, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe they still could be, mm-hmm. but they've naturally grown into this midlife comfort level and it's changed them. So mm-hmm. he's, Ethan is no longer, like fun seeking or you know interested in getting out there and doing anything new and and the other thing too is like his doppelganger does sit-ups and Mm -hmm. he doesn't anymore right right. yeah he exercises and so you know i found that those touches were were interesting but you're right they they totally overshadowed all that careful shading of the character by saying he had an affair right you know because that totally you know kind of wipes out all that stuff and i guess you can say give sophie's character a little more reason to react the way she did but i'd be fine with her reacting how she is just based off of a midlife like i'm bored we need something right you know to spice it up we're in a malaise and i'm you know and you haven't been listening to me or whatever like you said but you've got this sort of back and forth where you see that Sophie is growing more and more fond of her time in the guest house with the doppelganger. And Ethan, the real Ethan, is getting more and more suspicious of that time and that relationship and of, of what is actually going on. And uh, so far it's all been working, I think, in concert fairly well to explore this relationship idea you're still kind of on the cusp of it you're not really getting into it that much and then for me the turning point is when ethan is in the guest house with sophie's doppelganger he starts talking to her about what does he talk to her about where he's just as like you're not a real person right stuff like this but it but that's the turning point right and then from that point forward for me it was no longer concerned with the relationship issues and it's and it became almost like a semi-thriller where it was like from that point forward the doppelgangers realized this is how we need to make our move and it became more about who are these doppelgangers why are they here what's this whole setup let's explain the setup and get through the rest of the movie. Well, and, and it's no longer about the relationship. And it doesn't explore the relationship any further. Uh, look, I, I think I think it does in in certain respects of 
not even exploring, but bringing up interesting questions. You know, like when the doppelgangers finally make their move and they come out and they're like, okay, this is how we need to respond to Ethan not buying in and, and calling me out is we just need to appear, you know, mm-hmm. and just confront them head on. And in that scene, you have um, the doppelganger, Ethan, bring up a previous time when Sophie went into the guest house and the real Ethan timed it perfectly mm-hmm. where he came in the house at the same time. And we should say, if anybody hasn't seen this yet, when somebody's in the guest house, the other person cannot enter, right. you know? So he just opens a back door at the and same... And the doppelgangers can't leave, right? Right. But they can Well, leave. no, because yeah. because they're building up power. Right. You know, the more time they, they, they spend with the other one, the, the yeah. more power Please go on about the mysterious power that keeps them trapped in the guest I'm house. I'm getting there. That I'm the movie there. does go on about. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. But, um, you know, you have this previous time when Sophie thinks she's with the doppelganger. He's pretending and they have sex and then later on you have it brought up about you know ethan lying to sophie right because he's pretending to be a false version of himself right and sleeping with his wife and that feels like a betrayal of trust right and the line is something like you betrayed your wife once by sleeping with another woman and then you betrayed her again by sleeping with her and with her that moment for me was just it was just so like I don't know. Just so stupid. Well, okay. See, you, you think it's stupid. I think it's intriguing. I, I don't know how to apply that to a real world working relationship. Mm-hmm. I think it is a great conceit. Just a, just an idea, right? If we say, let's just have these characters do this, right? It's an interesting kind of conundrum to find yourself in. And I think Mark Duplass does a great job with it uh, in terms of, of acting out not only you know, that whole scene of him trying to be this doppelganger, but also working through the betrayal of trust that he just did and the insane kind of premise of it all. And and to me, I related it too to the fact of, you know, sometimes you're, you're fighting with your spouse and you're like, this is bizarre that we are arguing about something, right. but I don't know how to not engage. Like, I don't know how to how to de-escalate this conversation about a messy apartment or or whatever you know what i mean like it's it's out of control it's out of my hands you know right and or or the small ways that you can betray trust in a marriage right and i would say to that point what you just said explored that theme 10 times further than the movie ever explores well and and, and this is what i'd say too i feel like i don't you know i don't know the backstory of this film right i don't know if if it was like Elizabeth Moss and Mark Duplass, they're like, we have X amount of days. This is what we can do. Let's go out and film this thing. I don't know how much funding they had. It does feel, you know, like its ideas are not fully fleshed out and explored. And one of the big issues is with the explanation of these doppelgangers. I don't know why they had the recording equipment. And Ethan, at a later time, finds files on all these people of the of the counselor who sent them to this place working on getting like the voices right on their doppelgangers or whatever and what that represents and why they would leave that equipment and that file at a computer in the house that the people are staying at were they in a rush was he like well to be fair they left the files in the 
trash can. <laughs> they moved it to the trash can, but they right. didn't actually right. empty the trash can. That 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 to me felt like too much of a like a setup where it's like, was he meant to find this stuff? But no, because it totally undoes the plan of the doppelgangers. That to me, I'm like, you shouldn't have even gone into it. You should just done a looper. Exactly. You should you should just done a looper thing. You should have spent like, all of that time working through their relationship issue or exploring their relationship issues but instead we get that we get elizabeth moss's explanation that in order for and and we should say that the doppelgangers are real people who i guess just so happened to be identical twins to the couple and who were able to manipulate their voices in such a way to speak exactly like them like it just it's it's a premise that there's there is no possible way for you to explain it to make it seem believable so you need to leave it so ambiguous, ambiguous. that that I'm not worrying about it as a viewer that exactly. I say you know what I know that this is ridiculous don't bog me down in the details because you're only going to make me think about how much more ridiculous it is instead use this unconventional premise to explore the you know at the 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 dinner scene would have been a lot more interesting if if that dialogue was used to portray the idea that ethan has a hard time trusting uh or or, uh, sophie has a hard time trusting ethan instead it's used as an advancement of the evil doppelganger's plan to get them out of the house Look, I would say in terms of, you know, I, I I agree with with that criticism. I think that they should have backed off on trying to answer any of those questions. I feel like they could have gone in more in depth in the characters. But I feel like the questions that they brought up about that marriage and about those characters was engaging enough for me. It was interesting enough for me to get my my wheels spinning. And I think I have maybe fleshed out the premise a little more in my mind than it was in the film, mm-hmm. you know, because I was engaged by it. I, I've thought about it a little more. Um, and so m- maybe that is kind of, you know, tying together some, some loose ends that if somebody was not connected to the film, I could see them just kind of walking away and being like, you know, that was disposable. Yeah. You know what I mean, that, that, that was, you know, whatever. Uh, but, you know, to me, I think it still raises enough interesting questions for what it is. And, and I'm trying to react to the film that's there, you know, and, and the film that's there uh, is like we said, a great premise, interesting ideas. It doesn't follow through with them. It doesn't answer them adequately enough. It raises, it raises questions that it doesn't have to, to cause problems for the audience that right. you just don't, why did you have to do it? Because you've you've brought up answers and then eliminated them, right? Like clones. It couldn't be because they literally do disappear and appear at will. All right. You know? And you're also given a scene where he's scrolling through the guest book on an iPad and he sees a picture of them. of them. And then he says, we never took that picture. And it's like, okay, so I'm supposed to believe that this psycho- marriage psychologist is harvesting people that have visited his 
getaway and then like holding on to them for the potential or, of finding an exact duplicate clone that he's then counseling that he can then it's just so no. like the questions it raises it raises yes. about its own premise are so unnecessary right right and just they're just and that's what i'm saying like it's a great it's a great premise that's executed terribly right uh see i i, I, I wouldn't say that because i still yeah. i still had fun with it and, and it still got me thinking, uh, it, you know, it got me interested to talk about this and to, and to think about, you know, so, some of these ideas of, you know, this married couple. And I was invested in them, you know, as a couple, I was. I was, too, until I realized the movie wasn't and I wasn't See? going to get anything from it. And it was See, just I, I was still the end. So I guess now let, let's transition really quickly to the ending. Sure. Um, This was. The, the part of the film that I had the most problems with. We've yeah. already kind of touched on some, but I wanted to rattle off a few, see if we agree, and then I'm going to try and bait and switch you at the very end. Okay. Go with what I like and see if I can, you know, use the momentum from our agreement from what we didn't like to then switch you over All right. and, and see if I can get you to, to like it more. Um, I'm already confused. Just like the movie. <laughs> That's right. So he, here we go. Um and this is probably really for people who've seen this film. Um, there's a scene at the end when Ethan is chasing, chasing his doppelganger and he runs into the boundary of the property. Right. The invisible property. Right. And they show it like, like it's Donnie a, it's Darko. It's a cabin in the woods moment. Well, yeah. And it, it also like the boundary jiggles. Yeah. yeah. Which I just thought was unnecessary. Yeah. No, it is. It's it It falls exactly in line with... Finding the voice recordings, it just is too much. It's not necessary. Why, why didn't he just hit something imaginary and fall back? That would have been good enough. Yeah. I, I didn't need the ripple of it's like of a It's like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Right. Yeah. That, that did not need to happen. The fact that the whole premise of the ending, right? The big twist, the Twilight Zone-esque, you know, start of this, you know, ending epilogue, shocking epilogue, right? Uh, involves Sophie... Sophie's doppelganger trying to make herself look like Sophie because she's going to try and trick Ethan's well, and, and that's something we should say, too. Ultimately, the doppelgangers are, for whatever reason, imprisoned in this ranch, right? Yes. And the only way for them to get out is... is leave together. Is to leave well, right? Is to leave together, but they have to get the other couple to switch with them to live in the guest house. Yes, and so they've they've so the the doppelganger Sophie admits that the easiest way to do that is to get them to fight. So the entire time when you've been thinking that these doppelgangers are supposed to be helping and serving the relationship, their whole purpose is to actually pull them apart. To then, I guess, convince take them. over their lives. Right. I I don't know. Leave. I, I mean, I mean, there's there's a there is a moment where the doppelganger Ethan is like suggests for both of them to just spend the night in the guest house, and I'm guessing that was the cue for the real couple to go in there and stay in the guest house, and then the and doppelganger would couple would leave. Yes. Right. Thus switching their lives. Yeah. So, really convoluted. So it, well, well, doesn't look, make any sense. It, 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 it's as simple as this: an Ethan and a Sophie have to leave. Only one Ethan and one right, Sophie. Right, two, two can pe- leave. Only two people can leave. Only right. two people can leave. It's as simple as that, right? I like it. 
it holds it holds together with the with the theme and and the and, no. the, and the setup of the idea. No. It's dumb. <sighs> You're not going to convince me of like the, the movie needed to be about the real Ethan and Sophie and their relationship. That's I'm, it. I'm staring. You don't need anything more than that. I'm staring into your dead shark eyes, and I can <laughs> see that it is going to be useless trying to get you, <laughs> trying to convert you on that. So, What's the frenzy that sharks go into when they... Feeding frenzy? Yeah. That's, that is the mode I am in right now. I know, man. You're, you're, you're ready to attack. Look. You're going to make me not like this movie more I, than I then I already not like it. I, I, I like I like the sci-fi premise. I, I, I like it a lot. I like this idea. I like what the doppelgangers do, how they throw um, Sophie and Ethan's uh, relationship in contrast. And I like what they what they bring out in Ethan and Sophie. And I like that final scene of the real Ethan, you know, professing his kind of his plan, right? Which is basically like, I know I'm not, perfect i know i'm not great but i'm real like and i love you let's leave i like all that now where it loses me is when she has packed the exact same outfit twice down to the shoes just so they can have this arbitrary kind of mix up at the end where you're saying which sophie got off the property with the real ethan right and um to me i'm like just have them wear different clothes. Like Ethan would be confused, you know, right. in, in the whole scuffle and the fight. Like you don't need them to be so perfectly matched. Um, I thought that that was a waste. And then the film goes on to tell you, you know, which one he left with as if we didn't already know, which, right. which we did. As soon as they, as soon as they, you see them wearing the same exact clothes, you know, it's going to happen. Exactly. And, yeah. and that's, and that's where I felt like the film and the filmmakers didn't trust us enough where it mattered. And they gave us too much leeway with things that did matter. Like explain for, if you're going to bring up like they also, when they leave, they go visit the um, therapist, Ted Danson, he's gone, you know? So it's like, I didn't care about him. I didn't need to know that he was gone and I don't care that he's gone. I don't know where he went. And I don't know who he was, mm-hmm. you know? So why even address him, you know? Or, you know, why even have that computer file there? It, it doesn't make any sense, yeah. you know? And so I feel like it it was like, oh, you'll figure it out if we just, I guess, throw a bunch of crap up there, potential answers. And then when they could have ended it on an ambiguous note, they went way too far with the answers. Well, and that's exactly my problem with the, with the movie as a whole. Nothing, nothing is left ambiguous. the The only thing that's left ambiguous is the relationship, and that's the one thing that should not have been left ambiguous. And not only that, I'll say this: that the house they were staying in was awesome. Like, it was amazing. Like, trap me in there for life. Okay. I don't care. Okay. Why so, would a couple ever want to leave that place? Well, yeah, and and here's and here's the other thing: they they could have gone a little further. I wish they would have really come out and made. A, if they if they were going to go where they went in in the film go even further go a little cabin in the woodsy mm-hmm. you know what i mean that like if you are the couple that stays you don't get to live you know like <laughs> right. like then the therapist kills you yeah there's no downside to staying at the house well that that, that we know of and and, yeah. and and i wish they they would have at least hinted at it so all right so look i maybe want to put 
a little more of a fight about the ending. But like I said, you've smelled blood. You smell blood. Yeah. We're, we're just going to move on. But I did want to end on the final two questions that, that this left me with. Sure. Number one, would this film happen to a happy couple? Could a happy couple, could, could that counselor or therapist recommend this to a happy couple who then bumps into doppelgangers and gets sucked into this whole intrigue? Or do you think this scenario could only work with a couple on the rocks. I think it. I think it's designed for a couple on the rocks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I. I think so too. And and that was one thing that Elise and I talked about. And I should put a, put a little proviso here that Elise and I have never had an argument. What I referenced <laughs> before was totally hypothetical, right. and uh, that's not reflective of our relationship. <laughs> but but we we did kind of think we were like you know. You know, this could only work with a with a couple on the rocks. Right. I mean, if you saw, and this is the, the the last question is, you know, if you were in this scenario, would you be an Ethan? Would you be a Sophie? Would you be somewhere in between? Would you want to have answers? Would well, you just leave it and walk away from it? This or? is exactly why I was so intrigued by the premise of the did, movie. Did you watch this with your wife? No. Okay. Is because it's such a it seems like such a realistic it, it seems like exactly what a married couple struggles with on a day-to-day basis right like i've only been married for 4 years but it's it's something that we especially with kids yes. it's something that we struggle with on a daily basis and i can relate very closely to the ethan character and i'm sure if my wife watched it, she would relate very closely to the Sophie character, minus the affair stuff, which was so what was so disappointing because it's yeah, like I agree. just get rid of it. I but agree. anyways, it it's it's you know, it's this malaise that you kind of fall into. And uh, you know, it's 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 kind of like I, I don't know. I, I feel like I relate to the Ethan character in the same way that like as soon as it happened I would be spending the rest of my time trying to figure out why this is happening so, or or how it's logistically possible. So you'd be intrigued by it. Right. I would but I but there is no way on earth I would start going through any sort of like therapy or counseling or, or you know I wouldn't be letting it change my relationship because I would be too busy trying to figure out what was going on, just like Ethan is, you know. So the so there's that. I so I like that aspect of the movie, but it, the problem is you can't explain that stuff. Satis, you know. I, obviously, it's impossible as far as we know. So you can't explain it satisfactory. So it has to be like you have to just focus on the relationship stuff, which is what is interesting. And so I think there is a lot of interesting questions to be explored and that's the problem it does raise the question of is it possible for ethan to go back to how he was when they were dating or at the beginning of the relationship the problem is it doesn't explore that question at all it just raises it and then we're left to talk about it and that's okay yeah see it it raises questions and and that's not the only question it raised for me too right it it raised other ones that that i thought about but but i agree it raises them it doesn't know what to do with them it doesn't doesn't know how to explore them it doesn't know how to focus in and zero in on on what it wants to 
you know, dissect right. about the relationship. It's just kind of throwing up these ideas and these sci-fi elements and kind of trying to be, you know, dabble over here, then jump over here, then jump over there and kind of have it all. And I wish, again, like they would have zeroed in, but I wish they would have kept the conceit. I, I, w- I wish they would have found a way to make the doppelgangers work and either to say, you know, like Looper, look, we could explain it. It's going to take forever. Let's just, we exist, move on. Or find a legitimate you know like you know the 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 therapist is in the basement like working these robots and he wants to kill right. real people or he's like you know the wizard I mean, of oz yeah, he, he's, yeah he's like the wizard of oz like really really go for it but i would still recommend it i say yeah let's do our uh, rating system right rate rating system i what is our rating system yeah, i, I don't forgot. remember either it's like see it now see it later or don't see it at all something like that right Something along if, those if lines. That's, if that's the three, <laughs> then I say see it now. Um, I, I, I would absolutely say you know you can download it, download it, and I would say watch it with your spouse. I think I think that sure. I think that also kind of enhanced it you know for me a little bit too is just to be able to kind of bounce off like look at your spouse and be like, would you be doing that right now or what if you did see me or what if you did see a fitter me? Right. And, and I think Elise and I having those conversations as the film was going on a little bit made it a lot more fun. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it made it a lot more fun, you know, again, because we are such a tight, right. close knit, you know, strong couple that, uh, I would say, and that's the thing too, this movie, I don't know if it's going to be in theaters. I'm sure it is, but it's, it's available on video on demand and it's $10 to rent. Like that's a lot of money for a rental for, for, for now though. And I think they do that because this is kind of joint with the theatrical. Sure. It will come down. Sure. Like, so, you know, if you don't want to spend $10, like get, give it a week, give it two weeks, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. I would say wait for the price to go down or just wait for, it'll be on Netflix eventually. Or maybe, I don't know. Hulu does Hulu movie night. Movies? Get some people go, Go have sure. these. Yeah, there you go. Do movie night. Yeah, have people chip in so they all think you're a cheapo for asking for money on a ten dollar rental. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say you know you can give it some time. It'll be on. It'll be on alternate avenues pretty soon, and that's when I would recommend it. Yeah, it'll probably be on Netflix in a few months. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll uh, we're gonna take a, a quick break, and we will come back with Richard Dawkins. So a few weeks ago, Richard Dawkins um, stepped in it. Yeah. Well, yeah. He he uh, he did something, uh, and he did it on Twitter, right? So I guess he's kind of known for doing this on Twitter, according to this Daily Beast article. Uh, he does it a lot, but he really did it this time or a few weeks ago. So he started off by tweeting out, "X is bad, Y is worse." If you think that's an endorsement of X, go away and don't come back until you've learned how to think logically. Now, these tweets are not directed at anybody in particular. Well, and it was based off of an interview that he gave where he talked about a schoolmaster that he grew up with. That's right. Who like reached down his pants mm-hmm. and 
fiddled him a bit and some of the other people and he was like i don't think he did any of this lasting damage right and you know people were like how can you say that for everybody else who was you know that could have been lasting damage to right another person and specifically in that interview he referred to it as mild pedophilia right yeah something along those yes. lines and that's what that's what really got the controversy that's going and that people. so that's why he was saying you know basically mild pedophilia is X. not an endorsement of right. pedophilia but we get into that so he follows that tweet up with uh with the with what we were just talking about he says mild pedophilia is bad violent pedophilia is worse if you think that's an endorsement of mild pedophilia, go away and learn how to think. All right. Period. He's he ran. He ran out of characters. Right. He couldn't put right. He couldn't the other fit tag. logically. <laughs> yeah. He should just put L O G I. Right. <laughs> go back and think yeah. logic. Um, and he's still got one left in him, right? So then he finishes the the trio with date rape is bad. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. This is very like, and this is, you know, kind of disturbing stuff. So no, no, this is, be aware. This is, I have to say really quickly that I think your laughter and then mine, it's based off of the uncomfortableness oh, of right. this. It's like no country for old men when he's, uh, when Tommy Lee Jones tells his deputy about some horrific crime and the guy yeah. laughs, he's right. like, sometimes it's all you can do right. in yeah. the face of evil. And it's all just, just the ridiculousness of the like, Dichot- of the 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 dichotomy that he's creating, right? Yeah, and also the fact that like, like he's not he's not sending this to anybody. These are just like this is just like a tweet he's putting out there for everyone to see, right? All right, so his last one: date rape is bad. Stranger rape at knife point is worse. If you think that's an endorsement of date rape, go away and learn how to think. So that obviously got him in a in a in a fair amount of trouble. Um. And so I think, I think maybe the relevant question, because I don't know how relevant Richard Dawkins is with this line of thinking, is like, why Twitter, right? Why is he? That's why I'm is thinking. he going to Twitter to explore? You know, if you are giving him the leeway of of calling this an issue, which I wouldn't even go that far, right? Like this is. This is something that he's creating in his mind that doesn't actually exist, right? The difference between date rape and stranger rape at knife point. Yeah. But why is he choosing a format that is allotting him only 140 characters when he has his own blog that he could be writing on to explore this? Yeah. Like, like what's the point, right? I mean, and this, I guess this also speaks to a news story that I read today that someone posted on Facebook about how he's literally just going out in the street and like calling random people names, like horrible names, or just like he he goes to a ca- he'll he'll go to cafes, sit close to strangers, and then lean in on their conversations and tell them how stupid they are, <laughs> right? Like, is Richard Dawkins like, is he legitimately losing his mind? He's pulling a Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, maybe. I want to just be like, you know, you can put a whole blog post out on your website. Or you can do 140 characters about date rape. Like, go right. until you can learn how to use Twitter, you know, well. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like tweeting that at him, you know, just being <laughs> right. like, here's here's the dichotomy for you. 
blog or Twitter. Right. Now leave until you can you know figure out how to use Twitter well. Yeah, and and it, the the da- the uh, Daily Beast article does a good job of you know sort of going in and breaking down you know why the arguments are invalid, which again is kind of like I don't know if you even need to like. It's like shooting like, fish it, in a barrel. It, right. Is even is addressing that just like giving him more exposure for it than he deserves? Well, no, I think I think it's it's interesting because I think some people would, you know, maybe even agree with him. You know, until you yeah. you put in the context, right? Like like what that Daily Beast article does, where then it goes on a little further and it's like you have no right to make the declaration on what is lasting damage and what is not, or what is worse damage on somebody than, than what is not, you know, you could have a nonviolent date rape and be extremely affected by it, you know? And so how can you compare that experience to any other experience? Right. You know? Yeah. Well, and why is Richard Dawkins, you know, a, a scientist, a, a, well, a well-respected author, well, I guess, I mean, maybe up until a certain point, but, you know, an, an author, why is he using his time to think about the, like, fake gradations of rape or pedophilia that he's <laughs> right. created in his mind? You know right. what I mean? Like, like, why is, why are you using your time to explore, you know what I mean? You're not, like, answering the world's questions or, like, you know what I mean? These, these, you know, uh, uh, you know, he, he likes to traffic in sort of, uh, ethical dilemmas. Right. But like the difference, the quote unquote difference between a date rape and a violent rape, it's not like, it's not an ethical dilemma, right? You're not like, Weigh, you're not weighing which one is better for the person right. to experience. They're both horrible, right? You're not looking. You're, you're not like. It's not like it, which is more ethical to spend a million dollars to save miners trapped in a cave, or using that million dollars to feed hundreds of thousands of hungry kids in Africa, right? It's not right. this like. It's not this ethical sort of question you're you're Conundrum, raising, yeah, right? Yeah. To challenge people, it's like this is. A horrible thing that people experience right and you're kind of like to what end are you pulling it apart and like go, you know what i mean go, going back to our original analogy it's it is like going and working in the swamp and just being like i just want to compare swamp water with dirtier swamp water <laughs> and see what the difference is yeah. between this dirty water and this really right. dirty water you yeah. know what i mean and and somehow try to make a point off of that but i wanted to say this you know you, you talked about he's not answering the world's questions well do you want to hear what happens when richard dawkins does answer the world's <laughs> sure. questions yeah so you know in just kind of pulling up articles on this and, and and refreshing my memory um i stumbled upon this this gem which happened uh yesterday um somebody tweeted at him mm-hmm and said, I honestly don't know what I would do if I were pregnant with a kid with Down syndrome. Real ethical dilemma. Right. And which I mean, why is that an ethical dilemma? Well, and and, and this goes to something else um, that, that, that I want to touch on in just a second. But Richard Dawkins 
tweets back. Yeah. Abort it and try again. It would be immoral to bring it into the world if you have the choice. All right. All right. So he also gave a fuller um, answer on his blog. Right. And he wrote a a whole apology on his blog where um, he puts the original answer in. So he wrote an apology about the answer? He wrote an apology for making such a harsh statement. Right. Right. And offending. Well, no, not for making the harsh statement. That's the other thing about Richard Dawkins, right? Mm-hmm. He's not apologizing for making the statement. He's apologizing that people got offended, which right. I think is such a new kind of nuance it of an is. apology yeah. where you, you, you're not apologizing for what you did. You're apologizing for the fact that other people mm-hmm. got offended. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like that's such a postmodern well, so garbage. Yeah, it's, it's such, such a, a cop out. It's such a cop out. It's yeah. such a disgusting cop out. But um, he puts his larger. Um, answer to her and i'll i'll just direct you to his to his blog i'm not going to read the whole thing um but it's on his blog and uh the apology is called abortion and down syndrome an apology for letting slip the dogs of twitter war um and who knows (laughs) and so um in that you know there is a fuller answer on there right and he does say like this is my my perspective but in that he does say everything in that tweet mm-hmm. yeah you know i mean mm-hmm. at various stages throughout that longer answer he, he he does that but this is what i love about richard dawkins so he tweeted that at her at 10 53 a.m mm-hmm. august 20th at 12 47 p.m not two hours later he tweets apparently i'm a horrid monster for recommending <laughs> in all caps what actually happens to the great majority of down syndrome fetuses they are aborted mm. you know mm-hmm. and and then he in his you know apology he breaks down kind of you know the different haters as he says that he got in response to his tweet and his post about down syndrome right and the one argument one, one group that he goes after or or he explains are kind of the people who say i love somebody with down syndrome they're mm-hmm. my child mm-hmm. they're my brother whatever mm-hmm. you know like and that's offensive what you said right and his argument against them is i understand but you're approaching a logical you know um answer with an emotional one mm-hmm. so you know he's saying if you just look at it logically you remove emotion you uh, re- remove morality from it you're just, he says, what he's about is lessening suffering, right? Mm-hmm. And like purporting, you know, good goodness. In so the world, it would right? be logical to abort a Down syndrome fetus because they introduce more suffering into the world? Yes. Okay. So that's the logical approach, right? right. Divorce, d- d- divorce from all you know, emotion or whatever. Mm-hmm. And my, my two answers to that is number one, what's his apology, <laughs> you know, if not an emotional response to what is supposedly just a logical, you know, problem. Right. Like he responds emotionally to everybody else. So why is it all of a sudden not valid when somebody 
you know, approaches him emotionally. Right. Right. And then, and then also you can't make a decision divorced from morality and emotion. Right. That's what makes us human, you know, and that informs our choices. So, I mean, what good is the advice that you're giving, which is what he said, he was just giving you know her, his thoughts and advice. If what Richard Dawkins says is totally divorced from emotion um, and morality, which not all of us are. Yeah. Yeah. And as someone, I worked with a kid with Down syndrome briefly. I'm a little, I'm not sure what the suffering he's, he's exactly. talking about is like, exactly. Like a, a, someone who has Down syndrome does not, I don't, is not inherently suffer, suffering. You know, that's, is, seems weird to me. Like, I, I think maybe, maybe he's talking about the families has a, different level of stress than other families right because you're dealing with this condition but you know i'll say i worked like i said i worked with a kid that had um a down syndrome had some form of autism and down syndrome for briefly for a few months and it was like one of the most rewarding things i've ever experienced in my life right you know what i mean like and i understand that it's like I wasn't taking him home every day. I didn't have to live with this kid 24 hours a day, but I handled him at least during the summers for, you know, eight hours a day. And it was, you know, there were struggles, but it was great. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I, you know, I think you can speaking to that end of it. If, you know, there are certain conditions that are, are causing a child or someone to constantly suffer like physically, or emotionally or whatever, but I don't think down syndrome is necessarily one of those conditions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, and that would be, you know, a, a question for him. Right? But and I think that that's the tone deafness that he's not attuned to. I think he's like, I think he's losing. I like, I don't mean to make light of it. I think something may be going on with Richard Dawkins, like, like medically, you know what I mean? Like, he may be like deteriorate deteriorating or something right right because like he's like like it's going beyond like i'm just a logical creature right he's just being a total like ass yeah yeah and 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 to to end it this is what i'll say i found his his quote he said if your morality is based as mine is on a desire to increase the sum happiness and reduce suffering the decision to deliberately give birth to a Downs baby when you have the choice to abort it early in the pregnancy might actually be immoral from the point of view of the child's own welfare. Yeah. So he d- he does look at Down syndrome, which you know may may give him the right to go into a coffee shop and be like, "You're an idiot. <laughs> I can hear what you're saying. You're stupid." Right. You know. But I mean? if his goal is to increase happiness. How is him going well, and calling pointing, people an idiot? He's pointing out people's increasing stupidity happiness. and hopefully yeah. encouraging them to get smarter. Yeah. And I'll, look, I'll, I'll end by saying this. Like, Chris Burke, right? He has Down syndrome. He was a successful actor. He makes music. He seems like a happy guy. You love his music. Right. I, I do, too. I genuinely enjoy listening to his music. So do I. And it's like, you know, I, I, you can't fault that. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, what a downer. What a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks, uh, Richard. 
Thanks, Rich. Yeah. We'll uh, take a break, and we're going to come back with our recommendations. On our last episode, which was a, just a shy ago. of a month ago now, you recommended to me three animated television shows. television episodes. Uh, the Globetrotters episode of Futurama, mm-hmm. the butthole painting episode of Bob's Burgers, <laughs> and the... Uh, episode of Adventure Time where he runs into Susie. Is that her a name? A potential other human. Right. Potentially. Yes. And I watched all three of them. Yes. And they were fine. I th- well, there you go. <laughs> I think the... I will say this about Bob's Burgers. I know everyone loves Bob's Burgers, but I do have somewhat of a bias against john benjamin mm-hmm. just because he kind of seems like a jerk to me and i really can't get past that right he just seems mean and i don't know if it's because of that or if it's actually there like bob's burgers kind of seems like a mean show like the sense of humor seems a little mean-spirited to me right and i don't i don't really enjoy that yeah i guess i would say you know for me and and really quick kind of doing a rundown of um why i chose those for Mm -hmm. you since you brought up bob's burgers that was the episode that helped me overcome my because i i like him a little more than you Mm -hmm. he he does and and i think he's more a victim of the roles he plays you know with archer and and the tone of his voice sounds like it but he's not really that I don't imagine him being that way right. in real life. I've heard some interviews, and he just kind of seems like a jerk. All right. Well, I don't want that to spoil my <laughs> my enjoyment, but but I thought that that was the episode of Bob's Burgers that like hooked me. Yeah. Um. Really, because I I loved the execution of those paintings. There's there's something about artwork in artwork uh-huh. that I am fascinated by. Yeah. So like the fantastic Mr. Fox, the fact that his wife is, you know, really focused on painting miniatures of uh-huh. landscapes, all those miniatures I, I want, right. like, I don't know what it is about art in art. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I just love the idea. Right. And, and, so, and so these animated animal buttholes just yes, really, they got you. me. Yeah. They got me. All the right. fact, the fact in the way that she painted the, right. the, the buttholes is like little X's uh-huh. or whatever. And the, I think they're stars. The stars is right. right. That, that, that's right. The, the, they're stars. And you know, there's some different sized animals where you don't see it at first. Right. You're looking for it and you're like, yeah, where, Oh, there it is. It's yeah. a little, uh, nice kind of meta layer right. of humor going on in, in every kind of back right. in the, in the back of every scene. Yeah. Um, so that made me realize that this is more than just about like American dad or like the characters that they're going to do funny things with the artwork, with the art style, with the storytelling. Yeah. Um, all right. So I, I want to, I I guess now I'll switch over to the Harlem Globetrotters. Sure. 
episode of Futurama. Have you seen Futurama? No. Okay. Were you a fan of The Simpsons? Yeah. Eh. Kind of. Uh, There's a couple of seasons that are really good. Did you ever um, get interested in watching a Futurama episode? I think I may have watched it when it first came out, which is probably... I don't know how old I was, but I wasn't... I definitely, I'm, I, I know I wasn't smart enough when I right. first watched it. And so I just watched it and just probably didn't care for it. And so I never went back to it. Did, did this episode make you laugh? Yeah. I mean, it's, it was funny. I, you know, I just think, you know, there's a bit of, you just run into a bit of an issue, at least for, for me, it's a bit of a roadblock to just watch a one random episode from the middle of a season or the end of a se- You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I definitely am someone who likes to start at the start and finish at the finish. And I don't like to jump push around, through. right? So, I mean, did that make you at all interested in seeing another Futurama no, episode? Uh-uh. All right. Um, Adventure Time. Now, Adventure Time I do really enjoy. Yeah. But I've only watched, I think, like half of the first season. Right. And, and the reason why I chose this one, this was the one that I think made me want to recommend these was mm-hmm. just for this one episode mm-hmm. but i figured an 11 minute episode just isn't much of a recommendation right. so i wanted to try and pick episodes from animated series that convinced me to invest time in these characters you know yeah. so in each of them i think it reflects what i like about the show um but this, I felt comfortable picking this episode out because number one, especially in the first season, Adventure Time is really episodic, right? Yeah. Like th- there is a through line, but it's not really interested right. in that through line. And then all of a sudden this episode comes in season two and, you know, it's the first time that I saw Adventure Time trying to address a identifiable like emotional beat Mm -hmm. and it kind of comes out of nowhere because you're doing the episodic thing and then all of a sudden you know finn runs into these mole people Mm -hmm. kind of and he sees somebody who looks like him and the and the whole nature of adventure time is finn is there with his dog jake right jake has magical powers and they're in this weird land and they could be dead you don't know. It could be just some weird apocalypse, you know, post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. landscape of a nuclear war. Something happened. Mm-hmm. And Jake or Jake uh, Finn is the only human. And Finn Finn is the only human right. in this in this place. Everybody else is made of candy, right? Or you know, is a dog that has special powers, or some kind of weird dragon that his dog is married to, or <laughs> yeah. or partners partnered with. I don't right. think they actually got married. Uh, and uh, and all of a sudden, Jake thinks he f- he may have found Finn. Finn. Yes. Finn. Yeah. Thinks he may have found another human, and the thrust of the episode becomes about him trying to figure this out, and it ends on a really kind of open note of it doesn't resolve the issue of is she human or not. Right. She gets away, and only then it hits Finn that. You know, he she may be his last tie to, you know, his past, to who he yeah. is. Yeah. No, I get that. And and I read the, uh, I think it was Emily Nussbaum, right? Yes. She had a good write-up on Adventure Time that made me really want to watch the series. 
But the problem is all of the like themes that she talks about in the article of the show, they don't really start until, you know, two and a half seasons in. Exactly. So and you spend two seasons just going from episode to episode. And, but yeah. like I said, I still do like it. It's just, you know, it is also a matter of time of, you know, when am I going to watch all of these did, things? Did it intrigue you at all in terms of, did you want resolution to that question or did you find yourself when she ran away, he was, you're like, Oh, whatever. Yeah. No, I didn't really care. It's a cartoon. <laughs> so heartless. The other thing too, is they're only 11 minutes. Yeah, no. And that's great. So, so start fitting them in, man. Yeah, I might. I just, you know, have to figure out when. I'll just, I'll just keep recommending the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I get my chance, it'll yeah. be five years and you'll finally yeah. get through the whole thing. All right. Well, my recommendation is another podcast. And it's a, it is, it comes with a bit of a, 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 a caveat. It's not, I'm not recommending the podcast as a whole. Uh, but it's a podcast called My Brother, My Brother, and Me. And uh, it's a podcast about three brothers. And it is normally an advice show, right? So they take questions from listeners. They take questions from uh, Yahoo Answers. Hmm. It's funny, right? It's supposed mm-hmm. to be funny. The brothers are funny. I think they're a bit of acquired taste, their humor, and sort of the show. Right. But they're funny. I think they're funny. But what I'm recommending is their last episode which is called Adventure Zone. The Adventure Zone. I'm looking at right now. And what happened was one of the brothers, uh, him and his wife had a child. So he is on paternity leave for a few weeks, quote-unquote paternity leave. He's just not doing the podcast. So I I guess they decided to sort of stockpile some stuff before he left. And one of the things they stockpiled was a Dungeons & Dragons game (laughs) that they played with their dad. And uh, I know it sounds really nerdy, and I've never played Dungeons and Dragons, but it's uh, super funny, or at least I found it to be super funny. And it reminded me slightly of an experience that we had trying to play a card game called Munchkin with our family, right? And I think if you ask us, it was a pretty fun game, right? right? But if you ask anyone else involved, it was Not kind of like fun. nothing short of a disaster. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, but it reminded me of that. And they're just really funny. And, uh, and, and, uh, I'll save anything else I have to say about it for when we record next. But that's my okay. recommendation. My brother, my brother, and me, the adventure zone. Uh, so that does it for this week or for this week. That does it for this show. Who knows when we'll record again. So some of that is because we're uh busy recording and watching the leftovers right we record our podcast called everything leftover on that so if you haven't listened to that yet check it out watch the show listen to the podcast if you have listened to that and that's why you're listening to this i'll say thank you thank you checking out our main show uh but with that being said you can find any show notes any information about contacting us all of that in our show notes uh, but we have an official Twitter for our podcast slash website. So you can follow us. You can follow the website on Twitter at Brown Blue White. You can follow us personally on Twitter. I am at Blizzard with nine Z's. I'm at Things Come Right. And uh, I think that does it, right? Yeah. And leave and don't come back until you learn how to think logically. That's right. Right. That's what I was going to say. Oh, I'm sorry. I stepped that, in your no, line. No, that's all right. I know. You, you had it. I had to look it up. Oh, yeah. It's always on the forefront. That's my new email signature. <laughs>
And we're back. That was Taylor <laughs> Swift with, I don't know what her new song is. I think it's Shake Something. I just watched the video today, actually. Hey, I watched the video, too. That was actually one thing I was like, could we talk about this? Because the, yeah. the, the controversy. Oh, what's the controversy? Uh, that she's appropriating black culture mm. unknowingly or knowingly. I don't are. think it's unknowingly. Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, that she's unknowing of the negative stereotypes that she's propagating mm-hmm. with that video. And she does seem kind of, I mean, the whole point of the video is clue, her being clueless. Oh, is it? Right? I wasn't yeah. paying that much attention. Okay. I actually, I honestly, the only reason I watched it is because I wanted to make a joke on Twitter about her constantly referencing like Joni Mitchell and Emmylou Harris and all these like great women singers as, as her influences. That's literally the only reason I watched the video. <laughs> and then, and then, she then comes I just, out and shake and it then off. I just gave up. I just gave oh, up. Oh yeah. I could totally hear Joni Mitchell in that right, one. Exactly. Joni Mitchell right? would, that's, would loved it. that's what the joke was going to be along those lines. Yeah. And I was like, this is not even, I don't even want to put the effort into joking. Well, here Taylor it is on Swift. the podcast. Yeah. So I all got right. her one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. 